Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we're here to answer your Bible questions live here on our show. My name is Tina, along with my friends. Oh, this way, sorry. <laughs> Jay and Wendy. Hi. How are you guys Hello. today? I'm good. How are Great. you? Oh, I'm so good. I'm so glad it's Friday, and I'm so glad we have an early sunset. I know it's kind of weird um, that, you know, this time of year when the sunset's early, but it's kind of nice to just kind of wrap mm -hmm. up your day. And just be done a little bit sooner. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, God is good. Um, so we just want to make a quick announcement to our viewers. Thank you so much for joining us. We want to welcome you to uh, participate in our show. Like we said, we're live. So if you have any questions you'd like answered here and now, feel free to put them down in the comment section if you're watching on YouTube as well as on Facebook. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, interact with us. Let us know who you are, where you're from, um, anything, any feedback. And if you have a question, feel free Your to camera. plug it in. Oh, dear. <gasps> Not again. Are you kidding me? It is. Everything's fine. I don't know what happened. Oh, dear. We had this issue last week, so hopefully we can fix it. I apologize. But yes, please, if you do have a question at all, we would love to have you guys put it down in the comments on YouTube or on Facebook. Um, and feel free to catch us on these um, uh, many social media platforms. So before we jump into it, we have quite a few questions. We're really excited to um, see all the awesome questions our viewers have uh, uh, brought in this last week. So Jay or Wendy, would you mind starting us off with a quick word of prayer? Yeah, let's do it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us this week, getting us through for always your protection and your provision. And we now ask that your spirit dwell with all of us, unite us in one spirit, a spirit that will give us interpretation and hearing and wisdom as we open your word, Lord. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 So let's... Uh... All right. Start it off. Let's Shall Wendy, what's your first get question? Get our first question up here. So Graham is asking: Is the book of Daniel a it, is the book of Daniel a book of folk tales? Yeah, this is. There's a lot of uh, higher criticism of book of Daniel, suggesting that it might be a, one of these books where it's yeah, it's all made up, it's fiction, or for whatever reason and. Some people try to argue it's dated way after that maybe it was written closer to the time of Jesus than it was um, the time of when we think it was during the Babylonian exile of the Jews. But even within the Bible itself, I think there's so much evidence that it is a legitimate book, a very important book, and one that if we throw out Daniel, we're going to have to throw out a lot or most of the Bible. So let's start with... Um, what did Jesus think of the book of Daniel? Let's look at Mark 13, verse 14. Mark 13, verse 14. And this is actually a, a passage that Jesus has quoted a couple different times in different books. Um, and so, Wendy, would you like to read that? Great. Sure. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So here Jesus by name quotes the book of Daniel. And, and uh, there's no doubt that Jesus is saying, hey, there's this prophecy. It's going to happen. Pay attention to the book of Daniel. 
So if we say Daniel's an invalid book, we're now also going to have to invalidate what Jesus just said right here. Um, but we don't have just Jesus's affirmation of the book of Daniel. You know, the Bible says by two or three witnesses, let's establish everything. So let's look at the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the, the, the New Testament, or most of the books of the New Testament. Let's specifically turn to Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 33. And it begins, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and what's the last part? Stopped the mouth of lions. Who's that referring to? Daniel. Yeah, it can only be Daniel, uh, as far as I could think of. Um, Samson had a run-in with lions, but he ripped the mouth open of the lion. He did not leave it intact. But here we have it being the mouth was shut, was stopped. This is referring to Daniel when he was thrown into lions then. So here, Paul's saying, book of Daniel, the stories in there are true. Then we go to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28.3, it says, Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. So that, again, is reemphasizing, is pointing to this figure, figure of Daniel, um, now, I'll just note that as some people say that verse could be translated to mean some other name that's similar to Daniel, some other character um, in the area who's known for wisdom. But again, you know, we already have two good sites to show still Daniel's legitimate. Let's go to our fourth example, finally, and we look at the book of Revelation. These two books are so intertwined, Daniel and Revelation. They talk about the same prophecies, use very similar uh, symbols and analogies. Uh, trying to tell us about the same thing. So if you look at like Revelation 12, verse 7, it says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought it with the dragon. Well, this term Michael, that person, shows up in the book of Daniel. Uh, Revelation 12, 14, it says, But the woman was given two wings of, of a great eagle, and she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. For the presence of the serpent. Uh, from the presence of the servant. Serpent. Boy, I can't talk today. <laughs> so, where do we see that language? Time and times and half a time. That comes from the book of Daniel. That's a prophecy out of the book of Daniel. And we'll see, I think Daniel uses this language of this period three different times. There's this prophecy worded like three or four different ways. Time, times, half a time. You could see... I think it's like 42 months or 72 months. Yeah, 72 months. 42. And then 42. It is 42. Okay, yeah, 42 you got it right. months and then like 1260 years. Like it, Revelation covers those same things again and again repeatedly. There's seven times in the Bible this prophecy is referent. And so if Revelation is sort of affirming saying these are the same things, if we throw out Daniel, what do we have to do with Revelation? So Dan and, and in fact, the book of Daniel is provably right. And we don't have the time to go through it today, but if you go to BibleS.org, they have great Bible studies. Or, you know, we have great Bible studies where you can see 
the um, explanation of the 70-week prophecy of Daniel and um, even that one-week prophecy, that's that time period that's cut off for the Jews, and it refers to the coming of the Messiah. And you could calculate the day to the day, pretty much, of when Jesus was baptized, when he died on the cross, and to when, um, when uh, even we believe when uh, Stephen was stoned and the gospel now goes out to the Gentiles. You know, the time of the Jews comes to an end. So it's amazing, that prophecy, to me, that that right there should make you believe in the whole Bible, let alone um, the book of Daniel. So it is right. It is truth. And um, one of the biggest fallacies that there is, is that you are not smart enough to read the Bible for, for yourself and that you have to rely on some PhD or some priest or somebody to tell you what's legitimate and what's not in the Bible, what's good, what you got to throw out. No, the Bible is made for all of us to have access to it. That same spirit that inspired the writers can inspire you with the discernment, with the understanding and ability to, to appreciate that book and learn what God wants you to get out of it. And don't let these forms of higher criticism uh, cause you to stumble. Amen. Amen. And we have a guest here. We have Olivia who's joined us again. Welcome, Olivia. And if anyone else has tuned in this evening, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to drop in the chat that you're here. Say hi. Let us know where you're connecting from or some blessing mm -hmm. you've had this week. We'd love to hear some way that God has worked in your life whenever uh, you want to share those things. Yeah, please let us know you're here. We'd love to see you. Yes. All and right. Can we, should we go? get our next question up and we may have lost tina maybe we could proceed i'm um, here uh, yay <laughs> <She's> good good <laughs> good it's all good did you have anything so to add on that one tina no i you got it okay. <laughs> well done <laughs> all right let's get our next question up here So Anonymous has asked, recently I started hearing that the king of the south in Daniel is Islam. What is your opinion? Sorry, right. that is a great question. Um, I actually have heard all sorts of things. I've heard the king of the north is Islam. I've heard the king of, you know, the south is all sorts of things. Um, let's go to the Bible for the answer to that. And let's look at the book of Daniel, verse chapter 11, and we'll look at verses 1 through 8 really quick. And I think we'll see our answer pretty clearly. Um, if you go to Daniel chapter 11, um, starting in verse 1, it's basically where the angel is beginning this prophecy. And this is the longest prophecy in the entire Bible. Um, so it's pretty, pretty intense. Um, but as far as Daniel um, chapter 11, verse 1, it starts out, it says, also in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and strengthen him. So this is the angel who's speaking to Daniel about um, where they are in um, this in this prophecy, basically, where it's starting at. And so it's basically starting in the time of the Medes and the Persians in this empire. So if you keep going now, so we'll go pretty quickly through to verse 8. And it says, Now I'll show you the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be richer than them all, and by his strength through his riches he shall stir up against the realms of Grecia. So basically, there's going to be some other kings in um, Medo-Persia 
and they were going to battle with Greece eventually. And then in verse three, it's just going through this prophecy. A mighty king shall stand up and shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. We know that there was a great king that started out um, the king of Greece, which was Alexander the Great. And it says, speaking of this great Greek king, it says, and when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be be divided towards the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others besides those. So basically once after the uh, Medo-Persian empire was done, um, the Greek empire started starting with Alexander the great. And it says when he shall stand up. So basically in the peak of his kingdom, his whole kingdom is going to be broken, which is exactly what happened. And so we see that, um, if you keep um, going through the verses, uh, verse five, it says, and the king of the south shall be strong and one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him and have dominion. His dominion shall be great, a great dominion. So basically after Alexander the Great was, um, he, he died at the age of like 32. Um, we're not sure if it's alcohol poisoning or a fever, but basically he, he died um, very young. And then instead of his, this is not to his posterity, right? It said that um, it'll be divided into the four winds. So basically he said it shall go to the strongest. So he didn't have any heir to the throne. So it went to his four generals. And um, they basically took Greek, Greece, the Greek kingdom in the north, south, east, and west. And it says in the south, basically this that this person was very strong. And that's really true because um, the south of or the southern portion of the Greek empire had um, Egypt. And when you look at Egypt, all sorts of cities are named after Alexander the Great, like Alexandria. It, um, Alexander conquered all over Northern Africa and he conquered so much um, so that uh, Egypt was very much under Greek control. So this king of the south is in fact Egypt. And you'll see that as you keep going through these verses. Um, if you keep going in through verses six through eight. And so it's basically talking about stuff that had gone on between the king of the south and the other um, three generals that control the rest of the Greek empire. It says, at the end of his years, he shall join themselves together and the king's daughter shall, of the south. Um, so basically the daughter of the um, the king, the Egyptian king, which, which is the line of the Ptolemies. Um, that was the famous... Um, uh, royal lineage of Egypt, basically, in that time. And it's very clear. If you look in history, this is exactly what happened um, in verses 6 through 8. It says, and the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. So basically, they were like, maybe if we marry, we'll have peace because there was nothing but war between um, these four generals. It says, but she shall not retain the power of the arm, neither shall he stand nor his arm, but she shall be given up and they that brought her and he that begat her and he that strengthened her in these times. So basically, this is exactly what happened in the history of uh, the king giving his daughter to um, one of the other kings. It just didn't work out. And I think they ended up killing her. It was a really sad tale. And then verse seven, it says, but out of the branch of her roots shall one stand up in his estate. So basically she did have a son, which shall come with an army and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north and shall deal against him and shall prevail. So they retaliate by you know, seeking revenge. And then it says, and in verse eight, and shall carry captives into Egypt, their gods with their princes and with their precious vessels of silver and of gold. And he shall continue more years in the king of the north. So at this point in history, it's very, very um, clear that this is the Egyptian kingdom 
coming up against the king of the north. So um, if you look back at verse 8, just to make it very clear, um, it says, and shall carry captives into Egypt. So um, we can be sure <laughs> beyond a shadow of a doubt that this king of the north or the south is Egypt. And then um, if you keep going into the prophecy, um, the king of the north becomes clear that it it starts out as the northern region of the Greek empire, which turns into um, eventually is taken over by Rome. And the rest of the prophecy is very long. And um, as the prophecy goes further, this king of the south being Egypt kind of transitions into more of a spiritual Egypt. Um, basically, it's darkness. It's, you know, a lack of the knowledge of God. And so um, the king of the south is always Egypt, but it can be portrayed physically or spiritually. That would be my answer. Uh, Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts on that? Nope, that's uh, totally my understanding too. So well done walking through that whole prophecy. Very challenging in some ways because it's such a detailed prophecy. But Yeah, there's so much I want to say, but I'm like, okay, no, stop yourself. <laughs> so... do, do you have a, a deeper explanation on, on the website? Um, I think so. I think that there's, oh, we have so many answers. There, we've had thousands and thousands of people uh, come in with, uh, questions on the book of Daniel. So if you just look in our library, I know we have plenty on Daniel chapter 11. So I'm sure there's plenty more information on our website. So yeah, bibleask.org. Go ahead and and if you don't have something and you want it answered on our website or on our show, we, we'd love to have you guys um, submit your questions there anytime. That's great. That's great. And also just, you know, again, if you're tuning in, joining us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or Whatever platform you're joining us from, um, feel free to drop it in the chat and say hello. We'd love to hear you, hear from you. And if you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear those questions as well. Um, speaking of questions, let's get our next question up here. All right. So Lewis or is asking, is it possible that the Quran and the Bible were once the same or part of the same book? Hmm. I love this question because it's, 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 it, it, you know, I think there's a lot of people who do wonder about mm -hmm. this kind of thing. And are all of these, uh, these religious texts from different belief systems, are they all related in some, in yeah. some capacity? And I know extremely smart people who mm -hmm. also struggle with this and, mm -hmm. and ponder it. Yeah. So what do you guys think? Do you want to, oh, my lighting got funny. <laughs> Sorry, I, I look like a ghost. Oh yeah, this is interesting. Okay. raging war against you today. No, I don't get that's it. Oh, your lighting. That's not your lighting it. causing that. That's something else causing that. She, she was transfigured. Know. Tina is uh, on her way to heaven right now, everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I got Getting close to the Lord, and yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, I shouldn't joke about that. Jay, I'm gonna let you um, answer. Um, all right. So, um, uh, it's hard to sort of prove out of the Bible necessarily without an extensive, um, comparison, but I, if you look at every single religion, except for what I believe is biblical Christianity, they all, and maybe even, you know, ju the Judeo-Christian concept, um, religions, if you look at all the other ones, they all have the same thing in common, which is you 
can save yourself and you get yourself into heaven or you do this and that. There's only one religion that says you can't do it. There's nothing you can do by yourself. And all you could do is accept that and depend on God to save you, to transform you, to do all these things. And yes, we have a role in it. We have to make decisions. We have to cooperate. But only Christianity and Ju Ju Judeo-Christianity says that God is the one who's in control. God is the one who, by his grace, saves us. Not by our merits do we get saved. And only does God provide us the even the ability to become the type of person who wants us to be for eternity. So that's so unique. And I'm going to say, like, we, we could go through so many other things, too, where Quran says Jesus is just a prophet. Whereas, you know, the Bible says, and we'll be looking at this soon, where it says, you know, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is divinity. Jesus is God. So uh, there's so much there. You, you just, you can't possibly be a Christian and believe that there's a Quran, uh, and believe the Quran. And if you're a Jew... You can't believe the Quran because the Quran is going to say, you know, Isaac was the favorite son. I'm sorry, not Isaac. Ishmael is the favorite son. It's through Ishmael that the world's going to be blessed, which then cuts out the line of Isaac, which the Judeo-Christian um, belief system says it was through Isaac that the Savior came, you know, ultimately Jesus. So that, in a nutshell, is um, why I say that we can't go there. We, mm -hmm. we can't say they're the same book. Mm-hmm. That's great. All right. Um, let's go ahead and get our next question up. Unless, Tina, did you have anything? You yeah. Do you want to chime in? Uh, no, I mean, when I think of, you know, the Quran and the Bible being the same book, I mean, I hear what people are saying because there are a lot of the same characters in both of these books. Um, but as far as the Bible, you know, speaking for itself, um, if you read Second Peter 1, 21, it says, for the prophecy came out of old. So, you know, the Bible um, came not of old by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the prophecies of the Bible, the words of the Bible, were uh, given by the Holy Spirit. But when you look at the Quran, um, basically they, the Quran says that these words were given by Muhammad from an angel, and so or he had these visions. And so, you know, it's it's a very different source um, that they're both claiming to to have you know the words of these books written by and so um and, you know i, I it's respect an indisputed fact that the quran didn't come into existence until what that was around 300 a.d right at least yeah if and not then, later and it wasn't even reduced to written writing i think for until like even a couple hundred years maybe after that and don't quote me on it but like the general idea is that's how it is you know it came way after jesus walked the earth came way and then it became a written book as we know it even further after that yeah and the thing is too i mean the the scripture you know the old testament that was originally written in hebrew while the quran was written in arabic which you know was again comes into existence hundreds and hundreds of years later so yeah, yeah. not the same book but um, yeah good point yeah you're, that's right original language was arabic whereas the bible uh hebrew greek aramaic, aramaic. a bunch of bunch of different mm -hmm. languages that it was written mm -hmm. in exactly all right next question all right so this one so debbie is asking did esther and the king of persia have children show me the scripture source 
Esther, that is a fantastic question. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I don't know. <laughs> um, the Bible doesn't say that they had children as far as I know. Um, and I was thinking maybe, you know, um, she was in the line of Jesus, but I don't see that either. Um, so I, am I mistaken? Is he, is Boaz one of the descendants of Jesus? Um, or uh, ancestors of Jesus? Yes. Yeah. Do you know that one off the top of your head? I, I'm trying to yeah, honestly. Yeah, Boaz is. Yeah, so then the he would have, I'm just kidding. Yes, there. then he would have been um, of the line. But I don't have that off the top of my head because I don't see it in, um, you know, in the Gospels, there's two um, lineages of Jesus. And it shows, I think it's from his mother's side and his father's side, um, as far as Joseph um, and then Mary. And um, I thought he was in there, but I like when you search for his name, I don't see it in there. So um, I'm but sorry, I don't about, know what off the top of my head. We're not talking about Ruth and Boaz here. We're talking about Esther. Oh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm getting my female, the two books mixed. I always do that. I'm so sorry. You're going to see my humanity. I don't know everything. <laughs> so we're talking about Artaxerxes. <laughs> yes, yeah, Artaxerxes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, as far as I know, there's no mention in the Bible uh, as far as Esther and Artaxerxes having any children. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but there, as far to my knowledge, there's no Bible verses sharing that they had any children. Um, but if they did, they would have ended up um, possibly being in exile, possibly, you know, being uh, captives eventually, you know, in the Babylonian kingdom. So, yeah, right, I don't have a Bible verse for you there. So I apologize. But um, yeah, we, we don't know. <laughs> we'll have to ask God when we get to heaven. Jay, Wendy, any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right in that we don't have any biblical record of her having kids, but it would have been shocking given her what seems to be her faithfulness to the Lord that the Lord would have had her be barren her whole life. I mean, t the Bible suggests usually that that's almost a curse, um, you know, and, and God broke the curse, you know, for for um, Rebecca, for, um, you for know, Hannah. I mean, just go down the list for Hannah, mm -hmm. for, for so many people, God blesses them, but give them a child. And so... And so Esther is known as one of these heroes of the Bible. So why would God, yeah, have her be barren? Yeah, unless he knew that, you know, what was, I mean, God in his mercy didn't let it happen because he knew it was going to happen with Babylon, you know, down the line. Or, or Persia. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah, Babylon had already happened. Oh, man, <laughs> I'm just, a, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're, we're glad it's Friday, right? Yeah, we, we, yeah. It's easy to think of that Babylon exile time. But yes, exactly. Yeah, because we know Persia came after Babylon. You're right. But yeah, I mean, they would have um, had been the ones then to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. And so I don't know, maybe there was, I mean, that was a troublous time, definitely. So, you know, maybe God in his mercy knew something. And, you know, in her case, uh, maybe she didn't. We don't know. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go ahead and get our next question up. Who is God? So Carol is asking, who is God with when he says, let's, let's make man in our image, our likeness? So who is God with? So hmm. that, 
I this is one of those great questions where um thank you Carol there's actually a bible verse right on target and that would be John 1 and let's read uh through verse 3 4 okay so in the beginning it says in the beginning does that sound familiar mm -hmm. that's how genesis starts in the beginning was the word and the word was with god with god the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him the word and without him nothing was made that wasn't made or that was made so and in him was life and the life was the light of men he was the world he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not so here john is so clear and i mean if, if you don't know who the word is just read other books by john revelation his letters it's clear the word is christ and the christ was with god and christ was the creator christ was the one who breathed the life into adam christ was the one who just it's all around christ christ did it he was did it with god and if you read genesis you can see that you know the holy the the spirit of the the, the holy spirit hovered over the waters during the time of creation so all three actually were there um if you look in in genesis um but just pause it think about that isn't that amazing jesus who created everything who was our creator is walking in the flesh with us dwelling with us that's emmanuel um so it's a mind-blowing concept and you know we, we're approaching christmas time right and we we like to think of just cute little baby Jesus, you know, isn't he adorable? And we forget this was the creator. Here he is. I mean, he look how much God gave up. Christ gave up just to be with us and dwell with us, become one of us. Um, it's just a mind-blowing concept right there. And I, I have so many more verses where we could prove that was Jesus there. Colossians 1, 15 to 16 um it oh, sorry 1 15 to 16 it says he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created through him and for him so again jesus was the one doing the creations there's many more verses where the father father does the creating through jesus so they're there together. It's them doing it, but Jesus is sort of the direct one carrying it out. Mm -hmm. Hope that answers the question. I love it. <laughs> Did you have anything to add on that, Tina? I, I mean, just, you know, it's very clear in the Old Testament that there's a father, you know, God the Father and God the Son. And we see that in Psalms chapter 2, you know, speaking of the Lord, it says, um, you know, uh, these bad people have, you know, tried to, bring counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. And then it, it makes it very clear um, in Psalms chapter two in verse um, seven it says, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So, you know, there's the father, there's the son. Um, that's, you know, when it says in the image of God, he created, uh, you know, that 
plural <laughs> in the plural sense it's god the father god the son and we know the holy spirit was there as well because the holy spirit hovered on the face of the water so we see and, all oh, and that, that reminds me uh, uh that word for god in the old testament especially there in genesis is elohim and that mm -hmm. is a plural word it could be singular but it's also plural so right there someone is elohim this this group of beings that are God are there. And when the, God says, yeah, go ahead, Dana. I was saying the Godhead is what the Bible calls it. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then you have, um, you have in Deuteronomy or in the, the Old Testament still that God says, you know, hero Israel, your God is one, but that word one doesn't mean just a singular that is one as in multiple things coming together to make a one unified composite uh, just that same word even in mourning were one day or a man and a woman come together to form one flesh mm -hmm. it's that same one word so mm -hmm. yeah god wasn't a, a singular thing god is a plurality and that's even quite evident in the old testament yeah, and I just think it's so beautiful that we see this even in nature. Like you think of water, what is water? H2O, hydrogen and you know, two hydrogen and an oxygen. It's three um, elements, but it makes one thing, which is water. And so you can't have water without those three elements together in that formula. And so I just think that's, you know, we see um, in a picture of God in a sense in that way. Exactly. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. All right, let's go ahead and get our next question up. We're just like cranking through them here. Yeah, we're doing a good right, job. So Patrick asks, the chronological events of the 1,000 years. This teaching indicates the hailstorm and earthquake that precedes the second coming. This event follows the seven vials being poured out upon the earth, all of which I agree with. But since the point of the dead believers being raised up follows the second coming, and because there is no mention of the rapture, is your belief one of post-tribulation rapture? Asking because I can't quite tell by the teaching. That being the case, I, I disagree, but I also would not argue the case. I have nothing to bring into that discussion that has not been brought in a million times. Okay. Well, I think that, Patrick, that's a really interesting point you make there. Um, I'm kind of wondering the question, are you basically asking, do we believe in a post-tribulation rapture is kind of what I'm getting at or getting from your statement. And what I would say is, in essence, yes, I do believe that um, God's people will live through the time of trouble. Um, I think you see that in multiple areas of the Bible, uh, not only in Daniel Revelation, but other places like in even the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 91 is um, to me a prophetic. I mean, the book of Psalms has so many prophecies that you see about the Messiah, um, but also about uh, the end of time. And uh, Psalm 91, you know, basically says that, you know, a thousand shall fall on thy side, 10,000 on the right hand, but it shall not come nigh unto thee. Um, so talking about, you know, God's people going through the tribulation, um, 
and, you know, basically making it through. And you see that again in the book of Revelation, um, talking about the 144,000 that, you know, this special group of God's people at the end of time, that they will go through, you know, this time of trouble, um, like Daniel chapter 12 says, a time of trouble shall be such as never has been, nor ever will be again. And so, and at that point, actually, let's go there. Um, I think that's probably the most clear place in the Bible to see this. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, and let me just go ahead and bring that up there. And so Daniel chapter 12, um, this is after that prophecy, <laughs> huge prophecy we just mentioned in Daniel 11, going through time, seeing the, you know, these, the king of the north, king of the south, basically, to the end of time until this terrible king of the north um, is destroyed. It says in Daniel 12, verse 1, it says, At that time shall Michael Michael stand up, the great prince, which I believe is Jesus, um, which stands for the children of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was even a nation to the same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be written in the book. I get choked up. I'm sorry. I just want to be one of God's faithful, faithful people. So basically talking about um, these God's people being delivered at the end of time, if their names are written in the book. And we know from the book of um, Revelation, it talks about those books being opened at the time of judgment, uh, at the end of the world. And only those whose names are written in the book of life shall be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then if you read on into um Verse two, it says, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So basically it's not till after um, uh, this time that, you know, Jesus comes and the, the dead in Christ are risen here, as well as um, this special group of people who are going to, like it says later in the, the Bible, um, that those who pierced Christ will see him coming. And so this is a, also an indicator of the special resurrection of those who pierced Christ. They're, they're going to see it um, because <laughs> that basically they need to know who they pierce. They need to know that they pierce the son of God. And um, it's just a special part of uh, Jesus' second coming. And so basically you see here very clearly that, um, you know, the God's people go through the tribulation and after that, that's when Jesus comes and he says that, you know, the dead in Christ rise as we see here. And we know that for sure the dead in Christ rise at Jesus' second coming from Thessalonians chapter four, I believe if you start in 13, um, Basically, this is where Paul is saying, you know, don't be ignorant of what happens after you die, because there was some people saying, oh, there's no resurrection when you die. That's it. There's no heaven. There's no resurrection. But Paul said, no, 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 there is definitely a heaven. And it says um, in verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And verse 15 says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive so a lot of Jesus people who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep for the Lord himself shall descend with heaven with a shout. So this is Jesus second coming. He's going to come with a shout and with the voice of the archangel because he is the leader of the angels and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And so it's very clear to me. Um, just from these two passages that definitely God's people live through the time of tribulation. Um, you know, some people call it the time of Jacob's trouble. Um, there's different references to this um, 
terrible time that happens in earth's history just before Jesus comes. But it says in Revelation, you know, it's talking about those, um, the seven vials, that they're only going to hurt those whose names are not written in the book of life. And so, but those who are written in the book of life, those who are right with God, who stay faithful to him, um, God's going to protect them. And you don't have to be afraid. Yes, there will be martyrs before Jesus comes, but they're going to have a very special resurrection for them. They're going to be part of the first resurrection where they go to heaven and, you know, they'll have a special um, crown of life waiting for them. And so, you know, whatever our fate is, whether we die before Jesus comes or whether we live um, and see that, that glorious day, um, just make sure you're right with God. That's my only prayer for you, my friend, Patrick. Uh, any other thoughts on that, Jerry Wendy? Yeah, and uh, just just one verse, and I think you you nailed it, and I'll just maybe do a quick recap. And so I think there's a confusion there, right? You have the millennium, and it looks like some people believe there's a resu resurrection before it, but then it looks like there's resurrection after it, what's going on. And, and just sort of recap, there's two different types of resurrections. There's, um, if we look mm -hmm. at John 5, 29, it says, uh, this is Jesus talking, it says, And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and mm. they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There's two different resurrections there. They happen at different times. So the resurrection of the, the good, are resurrected before the millennium and then what we see in revelation 20 mm -hmm. you know we're seeing those who were resurrected before they're they're reigning with jesus and then um after the end of the millennium then you have the resurrection of of the wicked who then mm -hmm. will be destroyed after that so mm -hmm. yeah and so, yeah, i'm sorry yeah, no, exactly. And I'm and I think, you know, just looking back at our friend's question, you know, I do believe there's, you know, the tribulation. I think Jesus comes. I think that the dead in Christ rise, all of God's people go to heaven, and there are none of God's people on the earth during the millennium. I don't believe that. I know that there, there's a theory out there that, you know, there that there's still God's people on the earth in the millennium. No, there that's it. Uh the the yeah. devil is bound a thousand years. He's down here with nobody alive um, in darkness until the thousand years are up. And then, um, and like yeah, it says in Revelation every, 20. Just about every Old Testament prophet talks about this period where the earth is desolate, like Isaiah, I think Jeremiah, and, um, yeah. maybe this, Joel. Um, I mean, just go down the list. Like they're all trying to tell you, hey, there's just going to be a time where the the earth is going to be void. And it uses mm -hmm. the same language as what happened to the earth when it was being created. When, the, you know, God, the Spirit of the Lord passes over the waters and it says the earth was void and without form. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean the earth didn't exist. It was there. It just wasn't shaped. It was... It was empty. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's empty. And that's how it's going to be left during the millennium. And, and if you look at the languages in Revelation, it's in Greek, but it's using the same terms or the Greek equivalents as to that language in Genesis is trying to mm -hmm. tell you, God's going to make the earth how it was before pre-creation. And then we end revelation with God recreating the earth. And you see, you see a new heaven and a new earth for the mm -hmm. former things that passed away. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, I'm just so grateful that, you know, God, 
spares us <laughs> that, I mean, can you imagine ruling and reigning with Christ a thousand years, knowing there's people who, you know, are still down there. Maybe they could get saved. That would not be a time of peace at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during that thousand years, we're to know, you know, why some people are in heaven and why some people aren't there. Um, and I think that's why God makes it very clear in Revelation 20, you know, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection on such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God um, and reign with him a thousand years. So, I mean, that's it. But those that, you know, are lost don't live again until a thousand years are finished. That's very clear in, in Revelation 20 verse five. So mm-hmm. if you're part of the second resurrection, I'm sorry, but there is no chance. There's there's no um, no in between. I think that that's a really dangerous um, theology to think that there's more another chance after <laughs> this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that's a, a tool that the enemy, to be honest, to think, oh, there's still always a chance. Just delay it. Just delay it. You know, I think my dad always told me the devil's greatest um, tool against God's people is to is tomorrow. I'll give my heart to the Lord tomorrow. Oh, I'll, I'll get saved later. I'll I'll start doing ministry when I'm old. You know what I mean? And I think that... And the Bible know, says, yeah. now is the hour of salvation. Mm-hmm. Today, <laughs> today, <laughs> if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just want to point yeah. that out. I think that's so important, too, because, like, I, I mean, I think about how many times I'm thinking about doing something or, like, wondering if I should do something. And, like, God gives me a clear, like, yes or no. That doesn't happen all the time. But there are many times when it does. When it's like, hmm, which way should I go on this? And I just feel this very strong impression from God that it's like this, it's, it's, this is my plan for you this way. And it's like, okay, well, I I think about analyzing it and what, you know, but that seems more enticing right now. And like, that looks like the better route, but God says this way. So I'm going to go this way. And then I realize after some time goes by why this way was so much better you know something significant happens over here or um or where i'm at and it's just like wow like praise god that i listened to his voice and went that way because yeah his he wants us to follow his way every single day every single moment and he has a better plan for us and path for us when we do that definitely Oh, right. I think right. we just well, have, we have a, more a, we have so we have live questions yes. actually. Oh. We have, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, so I'm gonna guess. And, yeah, let us know. Is it Damo? Is it Damo? We we want to make sure. Yeah, um, our friend. Right. I'll call you DG. You know, for now, because that sounds cool. Um, it has asked, says uh, my question is about the Eucharist and different views throughout Christianity. Why do you believe Michael is Jesus? Well, those, those are, are two, two different questions. Two very different Tana, questions. Since you, oh, okay. you brought up earlier that Michael is Jesus, I'll let you take that one while I uh, talk about the Eucharist. Sounds good. All right. Um, I won't go too long into the Eucharist. I mean, that, that definitely is a, a, an important issue. That was one that the pro- early Protestants, um, when taking their stand against the Catholic Church, they were bringing this up. But I mean, so those who are not familiar with the Eucharist, it is a Catholic Catholic doctrine, a concept where a priest is able to um, say an incantation and then turn 
um, bread into the literal body of Christ. So it becomes God basically in the hands of this priest. And then you have the wine that they say then is literally the blood of Jesus. So when you eat the Eucharist and drink the wine, you are literally consuming the body and blood of Christ. And if I got a bit of it wrong, <laughs> forgive me, I'm not Catholic myself, right? But um, that's my understanding of how it goes. And, you know, I'm not going to say this is the wackiest doctrine ever, right? Let's take a look. There is a um, passage in the Bible where um, Jesus is having what we call communion with the, the disciples. And so Jesus, for example, let's take a look in Luke. Luke 22, 17. Uh, Jesus, it says, uh, he took a cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine till the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. So, Jesus is saying these things. So the question we must ask then, is Jesus literally saying, take this bread, what the Bible says, it says it's bread. Is it literally saying that this is, uh, or is Jesus saying, this is my literal body now, take it. Or is Jesus being symbolic? Is he saying, take this, but imagine, picture it being my body, that this is being broken like my body. What's, you know, this is a visual representation so you can think about what's going to happen. And, or, and is Jesus saying, you know, when you're drinking this blood, the cup, is he saying you're drinking my blood? Or is he saying when you're drinking it, think about the blood that I shed for you? So that's going to be the question. Is he being literal or is he being figurative? Now, if we go back and we look at Luke 22, 19, Jesus ends it saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this, meaning, you know, this, this act of, you know, taking the bread, doing the communion, in remembrance of me. So he's saying, right, remember these things. This is to, to take your mind to these events that then would follow when Jesus was hung on the cross, when his blood was shed, when he was broken and abused and humiliated and suffered. He wants us to always do this as a regular ceremony, right? To remember what happened. And, um, you know, if you look at the rest of the Bible, Jesus, it wasn't the only time Jesus said he was, or, you know, or used bread to refer to himself. You look at John 6, 35. John said, uh, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And was Jesus being literal right there? Like, literally, I am the bread of life. Eat me and you literally will be, um, never have to hunger again. Is that what he's saying there? No, Jesus being figurative. That's how Jesus always often mm -hmm. spoke, was very figuratively. Mm -hmm. And if you later read in John, uh, the book of John, when he's talking to the disciples, it eventually reaches a point where the disciples said, Jesus, we don't understand what you're saying. You know, it's so esoteric how you speaking to us please speak plainly and then all of a sudden jesus does and then the, they say oh thank you jesus we finally understand you now 
because yeah, he's very figurative, very symbolic in how he speaks. And so we have to be very careful when Jesus says something to say, this literally is truth, mm -hmm. as opposed to Jesus is giving us a symbol by which mm -hmm. it will help us understand the truth. Like an analogy. Yeah, like an analogy or a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Just because someone uses an analogy or metaphor doesn't mean to believe that analogy or metaphor literally is true. It's to help you understand another truth. Mm -hmm. So great question. Thank you for asking our friend. And, and I mean, it's a little bit weird to think like that Jesus would be telling us to literally eat his body and drink his blood. Like, where does he tell us to be car to be uh cannibal? cannibal. Like, yeah. I mean <laughs> it's a little human strange. flesh is would be forbidden. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Tina would know even verse on that. But yeah, we're there's certain animals that are clean, and I don't think humans are exactly. on that clean meat list. Exactly. Oh, you're, you're muted. muted. We're not hearing you, Tina. You're you're muted. Yeah, in Levitical law, you're not even allowed to touch a dead body, let alone eat it. So, yeah, no, <laughs> no eating uh, human flesh or drinking human blood. And we're not supposed to drink real blood. Remember, the life is in the blood. You're not even supposed oh, to eat it. And even, in the, even in the New Testament, where some people are like, oh, that was done away with. No, in the book of Acts, the disciples are like, look, that just make sure that you don't eat things strangled and you don't eat eat blood that's still a no-no so um even yeah. in the new testament in the new testament church you read about in the book of acts um to think about the top of my head i, I have that verse acts. actually because i was going to speak about it on a, a different question oh okay very cool uh, yeah but acts 15 19 to 20 yeah so i mean very <laughs> yeah. clear we're not supposed to drink real blood it's just <laughs> even to this day that was the new testament church confirmed that yeah Post jesus it, death on the cross they said it Exactly. And the thing is, too, um, you know, like, I think Jesus spoke in a way that people understood things, like, just to get you to think, like, just like today we use idioms. You know, if I say, oh, I could eat a horse, I'm not going to eat a horse. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> that's that's not what I'm saying. What I am trying to tell you is I'm very hungry. You know what I mean? Right. So I think, you know, Great analogy. That's, yeah, that's why I think Jesus says things the way he does sometimes you ha just have to understand you know spiritual things are spiritually discerned so ask god for um spiritual discernment so, so, here's, um, so a, here's a question can i can i add a question to this to clarify then then what does the body represent and what does the blood represent the body of christ yeah the, uh, like, the as far as like eating the body of christ and drinking the blood of christ what are those symbolic of so what I would say, biblically speaking, I'm sorry, I didn't know if Jay, you had an uh, answer you wanted oh, to share. Ahead, but I'm curious to hear what you say. The Off the top of my head, um, the Bible is very clear. It says, Jesus is my body, is my church. Um, so basically, we're taking in the body of Christ. We're taking in his church. We're, we're basically becoming one with the body of Christ. And his blood is his life. We're saying, this is the life that I accept. I accept the blood of Jesus as my sacrifice. And by partaking in this bread, we are all one people and we all are sharing one source of salvation, which is the blood of Jesus, which is his life that he gave for us um, as a sacrifice. So to me, that's this the symbols that I see in the Bible um, that are pretty clearly laid out. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the verse off the top of my head um, to confirm that, but based on the Bible, that's what I would say. Yeah. And and I'll add to that too. Like, I think symbols can have multiple meanings too. Like what does light represent in the Bible? So many different things. 
Um, but bread also, like, consuming bread, if bread also mm. represents Christ, who says, it's my body, you know, I am the, the, I am the, the bread of, bread life. of life. How do we take in this bread of life? Like, we're told Jesus is the word, right? We looked at that mm -hmm. earlier. So yeah. Jesus is the Context. word. And Jesus tells us, you know, you search the scriptures because you think in them is eternal life. But these are they that testify of me. And this is great mm -hmm. lead up into the next question, actually. But the entire Bible, start to finish, is telling you about Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we talked about in Genesis, right? Who was the creator in Genesis? That was Christ. So uh, who is Michael even in the, New in the Old Testament? you're going to see i'll lead up to it. you see in the bible again and again and again this person called the angel of jehovah the angel of the lord this is not just an angel of god mm -hmm. this is the angel of god and what does angel mean angel means messenger so this mm -hmm. is the messenger of god who appears he first appeared to um oh who is Joshua. The, the one no, even before that. But yes, appeared to Joshua. Oh. Um, Ishmael's mom. Uh, yes. Hagar. Hagar. He first yeah. appears to Hagar. And and then we see this angel of the Lord again and again. And guess what? Hagar said she saw God. She saw this angel and says, I saw God. And then this angel mm -hmm. also appeared to Samson's parents. And they freaked mm -hmm. out because they realized they saw God. So there's this angel who is God. And... Uh, and oh, by the way, what does Michael mean? Michael He's means one who is like God. Who is like God? Is like God. <laughs> so tell us, tell us, uh, Tina, who is like God? Who is Michael? So let's take a look at the Bible, just so that you know I'm not just making this up. I'm not just saying this on a whim, because um, this is something I studied very clearly. Because I was like, am I? Like, I just kind of discovered this reading the Bible myself. I was really interested in the book of Daniel, and I love the book of Daniel. Um, and when I was reading it, I was like, this Michael is not any old person. And so go with me to the book of Daniel chapter 10. This is the first time this character Michael comes into scripture. Um, and Daniel, there's another Michael before, but that's not, <laughs> that's like a person's name. But um, Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, so this um, angel came, comes to Daniel after he's fasting and, you know, pleading with God, I want to know, you know, what is... Um, basically I understand this vision and it's, it's killing me. I, I don't know what's going to happen to my people. And so he's pleading with God and in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, this angel tells Daniel, um, he says, basically, you know, the Prince of Persia withstood me, but Michael, your, um, but the Prince of the King of Persia withstood me one in 20 days, but lo, Michael, um, your, um, came to help me. And so, uh, and so it calls him one of the chief princes. So Can I it's like, in right oh, there. Sure. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. You just said it. Talk about the one of the chief princes. Yeah, one of the chief princes. So I was like, well, he's one of the chief princes. So I was like, like there's many chief princes. But then when you actually go to the um, the original language, so go to like Blue Letter Bible, and you'll see mm -hmm. that one of is not there. That was added. So it just literally, if you read it, it says, but Michael, chief prince, like it just is chief prince. Those are the only two words given. So Michael being the chief prince. And who is the prince? And actually, who? I think it is he's one one, yeah, one chief, chief prince. prince. Yeah, exactly. Meaning the, the first, chief. the primary, the the highest yes. ranking one. Yeah. And yeah, there's no of. 
there's no word of, not one no of. Exactly. It's yeah. just one chief prince. And I was like, oh, that's a different story. Because I was real mm -hmm. skeptical. I'm like, I don't know about like Michael. I've heard Michael's just a really good angel. Like, you know, there's different, um, you know, interpretations of this. But if you keep going in the chapter, um, uh, in verse into verse 21 and the angel says but i will show you that which is noted in the scripture of truth and there is none that holds this uh with me but michael your prince so who would be the prince of daniel daniel is you know a follower of, a, of god and so who would be his prince well obviously this would be none other than jesus it would be the son of god and you know this because um when you look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, being the prophecy of Jesus, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And it lists aspects of Jesus being wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Jesus is called the everlasting father because he's equal with the father, and he is called the prince of peace. And so you know that this prince can be none other than Jesus Christ. And if you keep going... Um, uh, in the New Testament, when you look in Jude chapter one, verse nine, it says, yet Michael, the archangel, uh, basically was contending with the devil, disputing about the body of Moses. And he says, the Lord rebuke you. So only Jesus was able to rebuke the devil, first of all. And second of all, it calls Michael the archangel. That doesn't mean he is an angel. Archangel means the head of the angels. He's the, the head of the army of heaven. And so, mm -hmm. and when you look, um, to cross-examine this in First Thessalonians chapter four, um, I believe. Uh, sorry, I thought I had the verse. I believe it's verse fifteen. Um, we just quoted it a minute ago. First Thessalonians oh, chapter yes. four says, "For the Lord Himself shall descend with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel. So, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So, it's very clear that this archangel is Jesus, because." He's the one that calls the dead out of the graves. I'm sorry, only God can call the dead to life. No angel can do that. And so, um, again, this is very clear that this Michael is, in fact, Jesus. And you see him again um, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And it says, there was war in heaven, Michael, and his angels fought. So, again, this aspect of Michael being the archangel or head of the angels. He is the prince of the of the army of heaven, fought against the dragon and the dragon fought with his angels. We know um, later on it says that great dragon, which is the devil and Satan. So only, and this Michael can cast the devil out of heaven. Only Jesus can do such a thing. None, No person, no entity on this earth is more power, is powerful enough to do that. And we see that um, no angel can withstand or overpower the devil because you see that back in, in Daniel chapter 10, this angel was fighting with the devil for three weeks trying to get this message to Daniel, but he couldn't until Jesus stepped in and push the devil aside. And so, I mean, to me, there's no shadow of a doubt that Michael is just a name for Jesus. I believe it's the name that, um, one of the names of Jesus before Jesus came to the earth. Um, and then, you know, once Jesus came, um, he was given the name Jesus for that purpose because Jesus means that he's a savior. He'll save his people from his sin. There's, he'll save the, his people from their sins. And so, um, again, very, very clear to me that this Michael um, is, in fact, uh, just a name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. 
Exactly. I really thought <laughs> well said. Oh, I have the longest Bible study. Like once you understand this, go back and start reading the Old Testament and you're just going to see it totally differently. It's mm -hmm. always there hiding in plain sight, but it's like that veil as Paul talks about is covering our eyes. And when that veil yes. is taken away, wow, the Old Testament becomes so amazing. You're seeing Jesus everywhere. everywhere. And I mean, like you go to Genesis 18 and there we have um, it talks about how these angels came and spoke with Abraham. Three men appeared, all right? But then it, it quickly shifts to talk about how the Lord is there speaking with Abraham. And and then you end up with those angels going to, um, you know, to, to go on ahead. And then the third, Christ would go and end up there. Um, and it talks about how... Um, like the fire that destroyed Simon Gomorrah rained down from Jehovah. I mean, it was coming from Jehovah himself, that fire and brimstone that destroyed Simon Gomorrah. And if we flash forward now to John 18, uh, or sorry, John 8, it says, Your father Abraham, this is verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said to the Jews unto him, You are not even 50 years old, uh, yet you have seen Abraham? And in the next verse, this is a kicker. And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And notice that those are capital letters there, I am. Because Jesus didn't just say, I was, I am, whatever. No, he's saying, I was the I am. So I was, you know, I know Abraham. I talked to Abraham. He was my friend. Is <laughs> basically what he's saying. And guess what? I'm the I am that spoke to Moses. And if you go, you look at, you look at um, Exodus, Exodus two, three. Oh no, not Exodus here. Oh, oh man, there's so many verses with the angel of the Lord. But if you get to uh, and are you quoting uh where Jesus three, said yeah yeah uh, Exodus 3 2 most people miss this we know the story of the burning bush but look yeah Exodus 3 oh maybe 3 12 oh, uh, no, 3 2 yeah, yeah it says and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush so it was the angel of the Lord God was physically there in the angel of the Lord um, that's Jesus speaking to Moses. And Jesus says, that was me. I am. Exactly. Cause I yeah, am. exactly. And, you know, Jesus says, um, you know, says, you know, Moses says, who has, who will I say has sent them? He says, tell them I am has sent them or has sent you. And so, you know, Jesus being the great, mm -hmm. I am. And just to point out, sorry, really quick. Because some people are like, oh, you're calling Jesus an angel. Jesus is God. How dare you call Jesus an angel? And I would 100% say, yes, how dare you, you know, equate <laughs> Jesus to just an angel? Because if you read in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, um, verses 4 and 5, you know, talking about Jesus being made so much better than the angels, has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus is not an angel. For which of the angels at any times? Did God say, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. And again, to him, I'll be a father and he shall be to me a son. So yes, Jesus is not just an angel. Like there's other 
millions and billions, yeah. or you know, however many angels God has in heaven. There's, Jesus is not just an angel. Jesus is the archangel. He is the head of the angels and mm -hmm. he is the head messenger. He is the exactly. word of God. And so, yes, God, he is still God. <laughs> he is angel nothing is less. a function. It's like a minister, or priest or something. Yeah. That's the messengers, God messengers. And most of the angels are a type of spiritual being, mm -hmm. like whatever the word is for them. We don't know whether the Bible just calls them the messengers. But yeah, there is a top messenger, the number one Christ, who is the archangel. And and uh, I lost the verse, but there was a verse that was really interesting too about the Godhead. So you have the spirit, the spirit's kind of this ethereal being, right? Kind of all over everywhere at once sort of thing you have got the father that's in this light that nobody can approach mm -hmm. but in jesus in colossians 2 9 it says for in him dwells all the fullness of the godhead bodily mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. jesus is the part of the godhead that's in kind of in like a body form that appears to dwells with hangs out with creation yeah. so god is jesus is the creator one that hangs out with creation kind of like one of them like he's the so this is how you can have a god who is both unapproachable beyond us and yet is so personable and can be with us because god is all these different beings who fill these different roles so we always have the god we wanted yeah it, it's mind-blowing if you think about it it is and you think about you know, just kind of the order of things. Like when you read in Revelation, it says, you know, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he sent unto his angel and then gave to his servant, John, and then gave to the churches. And so it's just kind of, you see the, you know, the order of how things are kind of ranked in, in, you know, spiritual things. And so we see, you know, God, um, and you know, Jesus being part of God. And then below that you see the angels. And then you look at Psalms chapter eight, verse five, and it says, Thou, you know, mankind being made a little lower than the angels, has <laughs> crowned him with glory and honor. So I mean, you just it's so humbling to understand your role in the big scheme of things that you know we we need to um understand how great our God is. I mean, if mm -hmm. you know, if we ever saw an angel, I can't imagine seeing an angel, but I mean, how glorious people have like fallen down because of the, the brightness of the of an angel. Right. And God is so much more magnificent. Jesus Christ is so much greater and more magnificent than any angel ever could be. And so, um, you know, just I think it just puts an image in your mind of God's greatness, his his might and, you know, just his holiness that we he he's due our worship. Um, so I guess that's where my mind always goes with that, too. That, that's how I feel like this. To me, Jesus became even mightier when I understood mm -hmm. yeah. he was Daniel. I didn't I did not feel like I'm bringing him down at all. It, he's like, Jesus is a total awesome guy. The awesome mm -hmm. God who is just the creator. He's our savior. He's, he's the one who's duking it out with Satan, right? Exactly. Satan is the one who wants to be like God. But, but Jesus is the one who really says, no, I'm the one who is like God exactly that's a great controversy right there that's that's a hidden meaning Amen. between in that verse of uh of revelation 12 but you mm -hmm. know michael and the dragon warring against each other amen Absol think about it absolutely exactly and just going back to that 
instance of you seeing Michael show up in Daniel chapter 10, um, you know, it's Jesus who finally is like, devil, get out of here. My messenger, my angel that I'm sending is going out to give Daniel a message he needs to hear. And so it's only Jesus who can come in and fight with us. And it reminds me, I'm sorry to throw in another <laughs> thought out there. No, I'm loving where this is going. I just love this story. I always think of this, um, the story of David, you know, after he killed Goliath, many years later, um, Goliath's sons actually come after him and try to seek revenge. And there's this really cool story of how um, uh, David is in battle and he is um, about to be overthrown. It says um, in 2 Samuel, uh, there's there's a certain word um, called Sakur, and it just means to be a present help. And basically um, that in the middle of this uh, battle, there was a... Uh, one of the sons of the giant was going to slay him, but then one of David's mighty men comes in and kills him. And it says he secured David. He was a present help in battle to help save David's life. And we see in um, later on in the New Testament that Jesus um, in Hebrews chapter two, verse 18, for that he himself has suffered being tempted. Jesus is also able to succor those who are tempted. Jesus is with us in battle. You know, as we battle with sin, we battle with, you know, the things of this world. Jesus is a present help. He's there with us in the battle. That's why he's called God with us. And, oh, I just, when I think of, you know, we understand Michael being Jesus, um, being that person in battle with us. It's such a comforting and um, awesome uh, thought to, to understand about our God and who he is. What he's not up there, you know, like looking down, hmm, maybe I'll help, maybe I won't. No, he's down with us in the battle. And that reminds me of one of my favorite Bible verses, which is the angel of the Lord camps around those who love him and serve him. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's Amen. Psalm 34. I'm guessing. Uh, I think it is. Right. I, yeah. All right. Anyway, do we have any more questions or are we out of time? <laughs> I, I think we're out of time. It's 7.15. So we have gone a little over, but, you know, hopefully that answered our brother's question here and, and thank you for the questions yeah. and joining us we really We'd appreciate love it to have these live questions so thank you so much amen and yeah damo please feel free to ask us more questions anytime i hope and again let us know for saying your name right we would love <laughs> to know to, to how to say your name because i think names are very important god uh values your name and and so do we so please let us know so with that, I guess we will close for the evening. And so we just want to thank you, our viewers, for tuning in and um, listening to our discussion about uh, these wonderful Bible questions. And if you have a question that you want answered here on our show, please feel free to go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live, and you can submit your question there. Also, if you have questions um, and you just want to put them uh, down below in the, the comment section on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to do that anytime. And we're more than happy to answer your Bible questions live here on our show. So with that being said, we just want to say thank you so much again for watching us. Be sure to come again next week, Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and watch another episode then. So Jay or Wendy, you want to close us out with a quick word of prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this chance to open your word and to share your uh, share you with people since you are the word, Lord. And um, we thank you so much for your greatness and for uh, giving us your word to know 
that despite all the things going on in the world and all the stuff that Satan tries to do, like you are God, you are greater than all of this. And you are seeing us through these times. And so we just thank you so much for your love, provision and care. And for the Sabbath day that you give us every week to get to know you more, to spend more time with you and uh, to not have to think about anything else really. And uh, we just thank you so much for your love and ask that you be with all the viewers to, um, tonight and through the week ahead and uh, help us to continue to share your word and your love with people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you again next week, Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless you all.